a medium one and a large one. So he went up to check out and the owner of the drugstore was there and he said, what's, what's going on tonight? He goes, oh, I got a great date tonight. I said, so I thought I'd buy her some candy. He said, well, what did you buy her three boxes of candy for? He goes, well, the small ones for the fact that she said yes to go out with me. So I thought I'd give her that one. And then the medium one is that if she lets me hold her hand, then I'm going to give her that one a little later. And then the big box is if she'll go parking with me later that night, I'm going to give her the big box of candy. And the guy goes, oh, that's pretty interesting. So the kid leaves and he goes to pick up his date. And he gets there a little early and, and her, the, the date goes, well, why don't you come in? We're just having dinner. Why don't you have dinner with us? So he goes in and sits down. They're having dinner. And, uh, you know, the dad says, oh, son, would you mind asking the blessing? As our guest, would you mind asking for, uh, God to bless our food? And he goes, oh, okay, sure, no problem. And then he goes on, and I mean, this is like a 20-minute prayer. I mean, this kid covered the missionaries overseas. He covered, you know, what God's will was for his life, what God wanted him to do, how he wanted to do what was pleasing to God. He went on and on and on, and it was unbelievably waxed eloquent, this particular prayer. So they walk out the door later, and he's kind of smiling and stuff, and she goes, you know, I never knew that you cared so much about missions and, and that you were so interested in spiritual things, and you never told me about that. And he looked at her and said, well, yeah, and you never told me that your dad owned the drugstore. <laughs> so, you know, we just, we want to tell, you know, you know how it is? We just want to tell them what they want to hear, and uh, we kind of shy away from the truth a little bit. But if you really stop to think about it, we're continuing this, this morning in this uh, exercise we've been going through on personal integrity. And how often that it is that we begin to accommodate the crowd rather than applying the truth. Question for you. How many of you have heard the term, don't make waves? Don't make waves. Don't rock the boat. Don't tip the boat over. No, that's a, don't make waves. How many of you have heard of that? What does it mean? Let me ask you. Let's, let's wake up a little bit here. Let's do it. Pardon me? How's that one? Maintain the status quo. Leave well enough alone. That was pretty good. You guys did that together. Go with the flow. Leave well enough alone. Maintain the status quo. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let sleeping dogs lie. Let, 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 let sleeping preachers lie. What kind of lies are we talking about here? <laughs> what the? I, I don't know if I can. But you know what the problem? I mean, we, then we, you know, to de define this thing, what we're doing is we're throwing out other cliches, right? Don't make waves. Uh, that means let sleeping dogs lie. <laughs> okay. Don't make waves. That means uh, don't rock the boat. What does it mean? This, this past week, somebody help me. This past week, you were asked not to make waves. Were you? Okay, let's, uh, oh, were you? Were you really? I was, I was prepared to go back six, eight months. I mean, we were just going to work our way backwards if we had to. Sometime in the, in the you want to share that or you just kind of, or do you, it's uh, down the hall to the right. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
Oh, good. Okay, do you follow up? Maybe you can understand this. You want to correct something that's wrong. Something that you know is wrong, that basically you're told, don't correct it, leave it alone, even though what you're saying is right, what's being done is wrong, don't worry about it, right? Or, more or less, hey, mind your own business. If we want your opinion, we'll ask for it. Have you ever been there? And you always hear that after you've already given your opinion. And it's like, well, I wish I knew that ahead of time. But the question is that it seems like the number one rule of contemporary propriety today is don't make waves. Mind your own business. Don't make waves. If you see something that's wrong, don't say anything, unless you're asked, of course. Yes, sir? It seems like uh, the truth is unpopular. Okay, great point. The truth is not popular. And all you got to do is tell somebody the truth about what's going on and see what kind of response you get. How many times does somebody say, thank you very much for pointing out that blind spot in my life. I could have went on like that for a long time, making the mistakes, but if it wasn't for you pointing it out, I would have made a fool of myself. Thank you so much. What kind of response do you get? What? Did anybody ask you who died and made you king? It's like, mind your own business. If I want to know, and who do you think you are? Look at your life. Right? Bang, bang. You know, everybody gets defensive. Everybody shoots back the, the attacks. Nobody ever says, boy, that was great. I really needed that. Thank you very much. So the question is, if you notice, if you're a person who tries to march differently than everybody else in the crowd, you're going to be singled out. You're going to be set aside. And you're going to have a tough choice to make in our contemporary environment that we live in. If you want to stand for what is the truth, then you've got to be willing to understand you will be picked out of the crowd, you will be set aside, and you will be forgotten, or at least you'll be ignored. When the time comes for them to ask you the question and the crowd quiets to hear your response, what do you think we should be doing in this situation? Have you ever been there? What do you think? Crowd quiets. They want to hear what you're saying. They listen. And all they hear is your knees going, and they start to knock. What do you say? Do you want to be singled out? Do you want to blend in? See, most people that I know like to live their belief system kind of in the closet. This is what I really believe, but I'm going to kind of keep it to myself, and as long as I don't have to express it vocally, then that's okay. But the moment I have to verbalize it, how many times have you been asked, well, what do you think of this problem that we have? Do you think what we're doing in this area is right? Do you think we should change it and do something else? What do you think we should do? See, a lot of us don't mind giving our opinion, but then when they go this, they say, why do you feel that way? We heard what you just said, but now we want to know why you've come to that conclusion. On what basis have you came to that conclusion? What standard have you used to come up with that answer? We want to know the why now. You've already told us what. Now tell us why. Then what do you do? Because you may be thinking, well, the, the reason why is because this is like what the Bible teaches and this is what God says and that's the way it is. And I don't have to really come up with any other. I mean, that's how I formulate my conclusion. Uh, you want to say that because you already know what they're going to think about that. So you say, well, it's been my experience in the past. 
Well, how do you find that that experience has, has led to this conclusion? See, somewhere along the line, you're going to have to come back to why you've now formulated this, this opinion. So you've got to give something or somebody credit. So it's a lot easier to give, well, I read it in the latest management journal. Even though it's a biblical principle, authored originally by God, we don't want to give God the credit because we know that it's not a, the contemporary answer that we want to throw out. So we use, uh, well, I just read an article in Newsweek magazine this week that talked just about that problem, and I think that that's how I formulated my conclusion. You know, we met a guy, and we're going to continue to look at him in Daniel chapter 5, a man who did not bend his integrity, a man who never had a problem giving due credit to the source of all of his wisdom. I can just picture Daniel now saying, well, King, the reason that I, I feel this way is I just read it in the Babylonian Gazette. And uh, I think it was on page 6 at the bottom of the column. I, I remember something like that. So let's kind of run with it and see what happens. He never had a problem giving credit to where it was supposed to go. But do we? Daniel chapter 5. Look at this. It's a great story because I'm going to ask you to identify with him. Put yourself in his position and maybe you can make it a little more uh, up to date. It's something that's happening in your life right now, maybe the business that you're in, uh, the relationships that you're having with other people, whatever it is, put it in a current uh, environment so that you can relate to it. Now put yourself in his position. You are going to be asked, well, what do you think about? Well, what do you think about abortion? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think about divorce? What do you think about... Uh, this uh, little manipulation that we're going to make here on our uh, finance statement before we file our taxes. What do you think about that? What's your opinion of what we're doing? Oh, and by the way, how have you formulated that opinion? See, because that's Nebuchadnezzar. He went through, I mean, that, that's Daniel. He went through all the same temptations at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar that we go through at the hands of people around us whether it's our uh, employers or whether it's our neighbors or whether it's our relatives or whoever it is that's putting us to the test and questioning us, they went through the same temptations, Daniel and his uh, uh, comrades, as we do today. How did they respond? That's the whole purpose of studying what we are. How did they respond to it? We're told in 1 Corinthians that this is as an example to us so we can learn from it and we can begin to apply it into, quote, contemporary situations. And we'll see how relevant the Bible really is. A lot of people tell me, oh, the Bible's not relative. I mean, relevant, boy. I mean, this doesn't deal with uh, some things that we go through today. Really? Well, let's see how relevant this passage is, Daniel chapter 5. Is Daniel going to turn pale? Is his knees going to knock as he's asked, what do you think? Is he going to try to write it off and give credit to someone else to make it more accommodating to the crowd? Is his uh, pulse rate going to quicken and is adrenaline going to start pumping and is his uh, palms going to start to sweat? Is he going to back down to accommodate the majority or is he going to stand and apply the truth of the situation? See, every day you and I have to make that same decision. Will you accommodate the majority or you apply the truth? Daniel learned the principle of application over accommodation. Have we? Put yourself in his setting. Belshazzar, the king, held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. 
Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let's just ask God to slow us down a little bit so we can concentrate on what's going on. Our Father, we just thank you for your word, and we just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would teach us and maybe even bring to mind specific situations that each of us are going through. Help us to learn from the life of Daniel what it means to apply the truth and not accommodate the crowd. Not to go with the flow or not to don't make waves or rock the boat. Not to fall in line with the temporary or the contemporary thinking of today that says, uh, you know, just kind of go along with it, don't worry about it. Father, help us to see that in the situation that we're in. So often when we're in the middle of it, we're blinded by it, and it's easy for others to see it, but not for us. We just asked this morning you could take those blinders off and help us to identify this principle of application, to apply your truth to the situations that we're in. And we just thank you and we give you praise for the results in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a transition that's going on here. Just to update you a little bit, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. He had gone through and uh, he had led the conquest of the nations of, uh, uh, of Israel and Judah. And they had taken him into captivity and they had built a tremendous empire. We know that from our past studies that this empire that he built was a world empire. And all the world could see it. And God had told him that in the dream that says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're this tree, this great magnificent tree. The whole world can see this tree. And within the shade of this tree there is protection, there is provision, there is everything that the world could ever want. And that's what you have done in the, at your hands, Nebuchadnezzar, you're something else. And Nebuchadnezzar understood that and he knew that and he stood on the wall of the city that overlooked this particular city of Babylon and the wall was so huge that they could have four chariots across that would race along the tops of the wall of the city. So he could stand there and he could overlook the whole city, this tremendous empire that he built, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the ancient wonders of the world. And as he stood there and he looked at what was built, this magnificent setting, he realized that he was secure within its confines because the, the history of this particular city was that the wall encircled the city. The enemies of the city would have to come to the exterior of the wall and what they would do normally is they would wait them out until they either starved to death or they died of thirst. But the problem with Babylon was, as far as uh, their uh, potential enemies were concerned, was that the river Euphrates ran right through the middle of the city. So the wall was built so that there was a big canal that was built and the river Euphrates ran through the middle of the city. The, the gardens were there, the, the agriculture was there. Everything was, that was necessary was in the walls. And so if someone's going to attack the city, you just say, hey, well, let's just gather around inside the city. We have plenty of food, we got plenty of water. They can't do a thing and we're secure and we have an internal sense of security. We have an external sense of security. Everything is wonderful. Life is great. That's the background for what was going on. Well, Nebuchadnezzar dies. Transition time. A couple of people rule in, 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 the, in the between that are the terrible people. Uh, history tells us that it was awful what they did. Uh, but then uh, Nebuchadnezzar came along and for 17 years he began to rebuild what Nebuchadnezzar had already started. And the glory of Babylon returned. That's the background to this particular chapter. So that is what's going on. And so they're all within the walls and everything is going great. But the people are concerned because now here's this new guy, Belshazzar, who is going to rule. Let me throw it out in today's uh, environment. How do we respond to transition? Most of us respond like a woman in labor responds to transition. 
All right? How are we responding as a nation to a transition? Will the interest rates go up? What's the Fed's going to do about the deficit? Is business going to play close to the vest? Are they going to continue to in invest in the economy? Are they going to wait to see how the new administration gets along with Congress? Is uh, President Bush going to assert his authority? Uh, who's going to run the country? That's how we respond to transition. That's what was going on there. They're all going, oh, well, is this guy going to be a good leader, isn't he? What are they going to do about the interest rates? They're creeping up. Well, let's play close to the vest. Are we safe or not? Or are we not safe? The Medes and Persians are going around bragging. They're going to knock off our city and they're outside the walls right now. We can see their, their troops. Are we going to lose or not? Are we going to lose everything that was built? The grandeur of Babylon is going to fall? Is our country, the United States of America, and all of the glory that we have had in the past, is it now going to fall? What are we going to do through this time of transition? Which direction are we going to go? But the Bible is not very relevant. Somehow we look at this and think that people didn't think that way then. They think just like us. They are just like us. They had the same worries that we did. They had the same concerns that we do. 2,500 years later, we're going through the same thing. This book is so relevant, you wouldn't believe it. The question now is, what do you do when morale's low and things aren't going good? Let me ask you a question. Things are going tough in your business. What do you do? What do you do? Morale's low, things are going tough. Throw out some what do you do when morale's low in your business? What do you do? Huh? Live with it. That's the spirit. <laughs> That'll rally the troops. We're going to live with it, all right? We're going to live with it. Man. Huh? We're going to throw a party. Uh, we'll call it a company picnic. That's what we'll call it. Uh, throw a party, that doesn't sound good. Well, maybe we'll, yeah, well, we'll throw a company picnic. We're going to get them all pumped up. The people are down. We look around. People don't like working here anymore. Things are tough. You know, the, the, we're, our market share is getting squeezed out a little bit. We've got some new competitions coming in here, knocking on the gates of the wall of the city. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a company picnic. And what are you going to do to a company picnic? We're going to play games. And the winner of the games, we're going to give them, door, we're going to give them like prizes. And then we're going to have door prizes. Because if somebody wins a VCR, they're going to leave here thinking, I work for the greatest company in the world. Even though things were bad before the company picnic, the morale was bad, if I want a VCR, this is the greatest company I ever worked for. And it's like, and if you don't think that's true, give me the VCR. What do you do? What else do you do? What do you do when you want to gather the momentum and the, uh, the unity of the country behind you? No new taxes. No new taxes. There will be no new taxes. Sounds good to me. I like his style already. Right? What else do you do? Yeah, you look for somebody to blame. See, morale's low, so what do you do is you, you find somebody else to blame, or what you do is you go like this. You say, I think we'll start a little war, and we'll only start a war that we know we'll win. Very dangerous if you want to try to build morale, you know, and then you go and lose the war you just started. So what you want to do is you want to pick on a little country somewhere, and you go and you start this war, and then you win the war, and everybody... Oh, we're the greatest again, and you get all excited about it. So that's what, I mean, throughout history, that's what countries have done when morale was low. What do you do? Go start a war. Take your mind off of your internal problems and put them on something external. Invent an enemy. 
go and attack that enemy, and when you defeat that enemy, then all the internal problems have gone away with the time, and now everybody's excited again. So you want to try to generate some morale, right? This isn't new. All these things work to try to gain morale, support. So Belshazzar, what does he do? He goes with the first idea. I think we'll throw a party. Yeah, the party, that's a good idea. So who are you going to invite? We'll invite Congress. Because right now, i got a problem knowing whether I'm going to get the support of Congress, so I'm going to invite Congress to the party. So Belshazzar, the king, had a great feast for a thousand of his nobles. We'll say they're senators and, and uh, congressmen. He was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. Hey, don't worry about what's going on. Everything is going great. I'm a great leader. Rally behind me. Things are going to continue. The grandeur will go on. And to prove it, I don't care who's knocking on the doors. I don't care what kind of problem that, that they're causing. I'll let them yell all that they want. We're safe here. We're secure. And I'm a great leader. So let's just party down. They had a party. The best thing to do when you don't want to deal with the reality is to escape. What do couples who have marital problems do? Do they sit and confront the issue? No, we know what they do? They go on vacation together. Buy or buy a boat. <laughs> uh, the friends of yours, did it work? <laughs> Obviously it wasn't you. <laughs> Where do you keep that boat? No, I'm just kidding. You know, you, you do. You, you go out and you, you buy a boat. You, buy, you, go, you go on vacation. You go do something that's a diversion from dealing with your problem. Then you go on that vacation and you, you don't talk to each other. You don't deal with the problem. All you did was rem now move that problem 2,000 miles to 3,000 miles to Hawaii. See, you don't deal with the issue. Belchazar handled it the same way that most of us do. Let's not deal with it. Let's have a party. Let's go crazy. So Belchazar tasted the wine. He gave orders to bring the gold and the silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar's father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And then he brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the kings and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So he's making a statement. The statement was this. Not only did we destroy the Jews, we destroyed their God. Let's go mock him. Give me the temple vessels. Give me the gold vessels that symbolize the sacrifices to their living God. And now let's drink out of them and let's make a mockery of their God. Do you see how that works? You also notice this. All of them participated in it. The majority, the crowd, participated in this act. I was reading a book that was explaining, trying to explain this, the, the psychology behind what took place at My Lai in the massacre of the late 60s. A guy wrote this, his name is Dr. Scott Peck, and he says, and he describes in, in this book, it's called The People of the Lie, explaining the My Lai massacre. He said, quote, it is a simple sort of thing. The horrible becomes normal, and we close our sense of horror. We simply tune it out. The horrible becomes normal, and we close out our senses to reality. God has a totally different definition of it. He says that do not be deceived, for bad company corrupts good morals. The morality of the majority will begin to corrupt the handful of those who are in the minority. And we begin to see that all around us. And that's what integrity is all about. That's what holding fast to what God says is all about. 
That's what truth is all about. That's what application over accommodation is really all about in a nutshell. When we begin to apply the truth of the Word of God or will we continue to accommodate the views of the majority of the people? See, I just want to let you know something. The majority of the people, even though the majority may vote on something, may legislate something, it does not mean that it's necessarily going to be right. If that's the case, then God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology because if you remember right, there was only a handful of righteous people in those cities when God destroyed them. The majority of the people were going in a different direction than God. And so the argument that comes up in an abortion issue or anything else that says, well, we've legislated it and it represents the views of the majority of the people doesn't hold any water as far as I'm concerned in the Word of God because God never goes along with the majority of, of opinion. He always says that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So the majority of people are always going to be contrary to the Word of God. And so the question that I have as I look at this whole thing is that the ultimate act of defiance is always going to be rebellion against God. It began with Satan as he rebelled in the ranks of heaven. It continued in the garden when Adam and Eve rebelled against the authority of God. It will continue throughout history until the final day when the Antichrist will again desecrate the temple and in defiance of God rebel against who he is. Rebellion is in the heart of men. And that is the thing that we need to consider when we deal with the majority of people. Folks, let me just say it as clearly as I can. The majority of people that you and I will become associated with will always rebel against the authority of God. Get used to it. That's the way it is. And our problem is that somehow we've been taught and, and, and uh, we bought a bill of goods that say something like, don't make waves, accommodate the majority, don't stand out in the crowd, just kind of blend in. You can believe what you want internally, but don't try to change the environment in which you live. And so we're told basically it says, if you want to try to change environment, if you're going to try to change environment with you live, then you shouldn't be in that environment. So you go over to an environment that's more suited to you. And so as we just kind of pack our bags and we continue to go to these little niches somewhere in society that we can all feel comfortable in, what happens is that the majority of people run wild and there is no light that's present in that crowd. And so they go this direction and the little packs of Christians who don't want to stand out and apply the truth to their lives, they begin to accommodate them by going over here and we just won't be hurt. How does God use us when we hang around with people who think just like us? When we're the minority and the majority needs light in their situation. See, that's what's happening here. What will Daniel do? Will he really tell him what's going on? Or will he blend into the little handful of minority, he and his boys, kind of go off to the side? We're not going to approach the majority. We'll accommodate them and let them believe whatever they want to believe. Or will we stand firm for what God is saying is the truth? Because I want to show you something here that is going to be, I don't know if you've ever been tested to this degree, but if you've ever been in a dinner party and had this happen, check this out in verse 5. People are going crazy. They love this. I mean, they're partying. There's nothing better than a party for people who don't want to deal with reality. And there's nothing that will dampen the spirits of a party more than what's about to happen. Verse 5. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Oh, 
Have you ever been in a dinner party like that? You ever feel that? You know, everything's going great and then somebody says something and the tension starts? Or someone walks in the door and then all of a sudden you see those people going... You know, it's like, uh-oh, party's over. Have you ever been there? So, or somebody starts accusing somebody or the next thing you know, somebody wants to start an argument with somebody and the fight breaks out and it usually happens. I haven't been to too many dinner parties like this, but I've been to... Um, Bars, that's what it's been. Bars, this is, a, this is a bar. This is like, you know, after, after a few hours of drinking and hoisting it, and then all of a sudden, suddenly, someone says, yeah, you too, buddy. And then you know it's going to start. Here we go. We've been waiting for it all night. Well, and all of a sudden, there goes the party atmosphere, and things get dampened. A little bit? You been there? That's exactly the scene here. Suddenly, I love how God does things. It's like, all right, look. I give you rope, I give you rope, I'm putting up with it, I'm putting up with it, but when God finally acts, it's sudden. When Jesus Christ returns, it'll be like a thief in the night. It'll be a, blink, a twinkle of an eye. It'll be sudden. God works suddenly. People don't have an opportunity to look around them and say, gee, I sense something's wrong. I think I'll change my whole viewpoint on things. Because God continues to work in the hearts of men and women and gives them time, gives them time, gives them time. He's long-suffering, he's patient, he's patient. But when he finally says it, that's it. When the ark door shuts and the rain starts, that's it. When the hail and brimstone start falling, that's it. See, that's the way God works. And so he finally got to the point where suddenly he appears on the scene. And he begins to write on the wall and the party's a little dampened and they don't know what to do and the king's face grows pale and his thoughts alarm him and his hip joints went slack and this guy just did a meltdown here. It's just like Chernobyl. And his knees began knocking together. This guy just faded. This is the same guy who says, follow me, I'm an unbelievable leader. This is great, don't worry about them. He sees writing on the wall and he melts. I don't know, I'm starting to lose my confidence in his abilities to lead. So what does he do? What do you do when you can't explain something? You look for advice. What is this? I don't know. Let's get some advice. Good idea. Who are we going to ask? Well, let's see. He called aloud. Can you just picture this? I love this. Send him in here. Bring the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners. Get them in here. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. It says, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. We need help. We need some advice. Who do we turn to? I know we'll turn to the same bozos that we've been talking about now for a month and who haven't been able to do anything yet, but we're going to give them one last chance again just in case they could be right. So they sent for the magicians and, and, the, and the conjurers and, and, and uh, the diviners and the astrologers and all these people, and they started looking for advice, and that's who he sends for. And I think that is just unbelievable because it's not relevant today. <laughs> Nobody seeks astrologists today. Nobody looks at their horoscope today. Nobody checks on their biorhythms today. Nobody checks on their psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, nobody, I mean, nobody does that today. This is not very relevant, so just bear with me a moment as we go through this until we can find something that is. <laughs> Have you seen, I mean, do you realize what's going on around us? Fortune 500 companies are turning to witchcraft and are turning to astrologists 
and are turning to psychics and are turning to tarot cards and are turning to all these things to help them to identify the problems in their business and what direction to go? Is this something new to you or have you heard this already before? This stuff is still going on. Drive down along the beach. We went down along the beach the other day and there's little, you know, little palm reading shacks around all over the place. Who's going there? What are they looking for? They are trying to get an explanation for things that are happening in their life that they can't explain and they need somebody to help them to understand it. Why is a Fortune 500 company turning to witchcraft today and holding a seminar so they can come in and tell us what's wrong? Why are businesses sending in for psychologists and psychiatrists to try to brainwash the people that are so they're all thinking the same way, so they're all heading in the same direction, so they become one and there's some unity so that they can accomplish the corporate goals? Why are they doing that? because they don't know what else to do and they need to turn to for advice and for wisdom. The king's, this guy's no different. He needs help. He doesn't know what to do. So he calls for whoever's available. So he called for these characters and once again, there's a thing that they could do to help out. Let me just get something straight. All of these practices are still detestable before God. Turn to Deuteronomy 18 sometime and read it yourself. If you have a question about horoscopes and tarot cards and Ouija boards and uh, seeking counsel and advice from any other source rather than the Word of God, then you turn to Deuteronomy 18 and you read about how detestable it is before God and how God would remove all of those people who, pra who uh, practice those uh, principles and would remove them from the face of the earth. So if you want to have a question about something that's practical in your life, where are you seeking advice? God says, you go anywhere other than the word of God, it's detestable before my sight. Blessed is the man who does not seek counsel from the ungodly. But in his law, God's law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, that's what it's all about. You and I have a choice. Are we going to seek godly wisdom or are we going to seek, seek uh, contemporary wisdom? When somebody asks you as far as accommodating or applying the truth, what do you think about Ouija boards. What do you think about astrology? What do you think about uh, witchcraft? What do you, hey, what do I think about it? Same thing God thinks about it. It's detestable. It's wrong. It's stupid. It shouldn't be done. Oh, but we don't want to say that. Just say, well, you know, I, 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 when somebody asks you your sign, what do you say? My sign? Uh, 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 I'm a Sagittarius. Do you say, I mean, what do you say when somebody asks you your sign? I don't know. I, hey. All I know is that the signs that, that talk about in the Bible are the signs that I'm born under, the sign of a virgin, uh, the sign of, uh, you know, that, the, the covenant, uh, look at a rainbow, I'm under that sign. Uh, there's a lot of signs I'm under, a lot of covenants I'm under, uh, a lot of agreements that I'm under, but I, I don't have any other sign. What, talk, what are you talking about? No, you know, the signs. No, I don't know. Do you? No, we just give an answer, right? Because we'd rather accommodate the majority than it would apply the truth. We don't want to deal with it, so we write it off. What do you say? Well, that's not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. Okay, so here we go. This is what's going on. Now the, the question is, guess what happens? Their wisdom is lacking once again. It says, all the king's wise men came in. They could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Surprise, oh surprise. It says, then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. The queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen spoke and said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. Probably not a wild shot, you know, guessing a dark on her part. She looked at this guy. You ever see somebody who looks pale? I love it. She said, hey, don't let your face be pale. <laughs> I could just, you know, kind of... 
There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magi magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and insight, interpretation of dreams, explanation of enigmas, and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel. Whoa. This guy have a reputation? He's probably about 80 years old now. And you know what's great? They remembered who he was and he remembered so much about his character. His integrity stood out of the, in the crowd. Have you ever wondered as we've been going through this series why every time he sent for the magicians and the conjurers and the diviners, Daniel was never with them? Have you ever notice that? Daniel does not associate with these people because he knows the principle we just talked about, bad company corrupts good morals. He doesn't hang around and accommodate their viewpoints and the way that they do things. He's never there. Every time they send for the magicians, Daniel always comes later. He's never with the group that originally gets there. He's off doing his own thing, away from what they're doing. And so Daniel's not even there when they come to give him the advice. So once again, he has to be called in special to come in and to apply truth and not accommodate the crowd. Men and women, let me tell you something about integrity. If you maintain integrity and you continue to apply the truth of the Word of God, you may not always be in the limelight, but you're always going to be in the back of someone's mind. You may not have the position. You may not be up in front. You may not have the prestige that the crowd at the time has. But God will keep you in the minds of people and you will always stand out. We want to be accepted and loved and put on a pedestal and be always in the crowd. And you know what? I look at Daniel. He's never there. He's never where what's happening is happening. But they always call for him to bring insight into the situation. I love that. It teaches me that, you know what, maybe people don't want to hear what you have to say, but there's going to be a time where God will use you in their lives. They don't like what you have to say today, but when they continue to look for advice other places and they don't get it, and it doesn't help them, guess who they're going to send for? They're going to send for you. You take a stand and you apply the truth of the Word of God, someday, somewhere, they're going to send back for you. Because you have insight, you have wisdom, you have an extraordinary spirit, and it's the spirit of the living God and you stand out. Do you accommodate the majority or do you apply the truth? Do you accommodate them so you can always be involved, be there with everybody else? Or do you apply the truth and realize that as you do, you're going to be set aside and you're going to be forgotten? You're not going to run in the mainstream. They're going to kick you aside and they're going to say, hey, forget you. But then somewhere, someplace, your name's going to come back up again. We need to call, call him. We need to go talk to him because he's different than everybody else. Because the majority of people here, as they're giving us advice, don't know what's going on. See, that's what happens. So the queen sent for Daniel. And he said, let Daniel, in verse 12, now be summoned, and he will declare the interpretation. It says, and Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah? This guy is such a jerk. I mean, the first thing he says to him is, aren't you one of the exiles? Aren't you one of the people we defeated? Aren't you nothing, basically, is what he's saying. He says, are you one of the exiles from Judah and whom my father the king brought from Judah? Aren't you one of those conquered people? 
I mean, why in the world am I going to listen to you? But obviously, I don't have anywhere else to turn at this point. That's great. God is always the last place we turn. Nothing else works. All the other advice is, is down the toilet. And so it's like, oh, okay, well, let's turn to God. Here we go again. Now I have heard about you that a spirit of the gods is in you and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom has been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers were brought in before me that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not declare the interpretation of the message. But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now if you are able to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. I love that. Do you follow that? Hey, keep it. I don't want it. Because, see, I'll apply the truth and you don't have to pay me to apply the truth. You're not going to influence what I'm about to say. You're not going to influence my advice to you by trying to up to me. I'm not going to do it. You're not going to offer me a promotion to go along with the crowd. You're not going to give me a raise or a bonus. Or you're not going to do any of those things to try to influence what I'm about to say. And so I just want you to realize that as I'm going to say what I'm about to say, that it's not because you've bought my advice. I want to be above reproach. I want to be pure in my motives. I want to be able to say to you what God has to say without anybody ever suspecting the motives behind what I'm saying. Boy, you know what? And that's a, the saddest commentary of Christianity today is that so many of us have compromised the truth of the Word of God because we have personally benefited from it somehow, somewhere along the line. Don't even allow an appearance of evil to exist in your life. Be above reproach. Don't allow anybody to minimize the truth of the Word of God because of something suspect in your own life. Daniel knew that truth. He said, hey, I don't want your money. I don't want anything to do with you. You can give it to somebody else if you're going to offer a reward, but I'm going to declare to you the truth about what's going on. Okay? You ready for it? Here's the truth about the situation. Put yourself in his position. Here's the crowd. Here's, the th here's Congress. Here's the President. You're brought into the... the uh, joint session, and they ask you, would you please tell us what you think? What does this mean? So Daniel answered in verse 18 and said, O King, the Most High God, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished to kill, wish he killed, and whomever he wished he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of a beast's. And his dwelling place was with wild donkeys and he was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over him, over it, whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself and humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. 
and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath, and your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent out from God, and the inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written out. Many, many tekel parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and has put it to an end. Teke, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficit. Parson, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Are you ready for that? Your kingdom has been numbered and has been put to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and you have been found deficit or deficient. Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. You ask me what it said, and now I'm going to tell you. Have you ever been asked a difficult question? Have you ever known before you answer what the answer is going to be that you have to give? See, have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and you know what you're about to say they're not going to want to hear? So either to accommodate their viewpoint or in fear of ruining that relationship, you begin to accommodate them and you begin to minimize the truth of the Word of God. Next week, I'm going to share with you a way to handle it when you're asked a difficult question. How do you address someone when they say, well, what do you think? What does the Bible say? In your back of your mind, you're thinking, what is the truth of the Word of God? How am I going to explain the truth to them when I know that they would rather have me accommodate what they believe? How will I begin to share with them in a way that they won't become defensive and take it personally and shut me off? How can I do that? We're going to go back and look at what Daniel did here as he was asked the question, what does God have to say? What does God say about it? Is there a way that you can say it to at least get them to listen long enough to get the point across and then they must make a decision? or you begin to accommodate what they believe, knowing what they believe in advance. Do you think Belshazzar wanted to hear that his kingdom was up? 